and there is a shofar that's going to sound from heaven when Jesus returns. So we practice. Someday we'll do rapture practice. We'll all get on the roof. Reuben will blow the shofar. We'll jump and see if he catches us. <laughs> okay, so turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Before Reuben preaches, he always blows the shofar, and occasionally he does before I teach. So you will be hearing that. If you do wear hearing aids, you might remember to turn them down right before he gets up. We didn't think to mention that. So the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Ephesians in 61 to 60 AD while he was in prison or house arrest in Rome. At that time, he also wrote Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And so you notice that there are a lot of common themes between the book of Ephesians and Colossians. Ephesians was very likely a circular letter. It was first sent to Ephesus, and then it was circulated to the local churches nearby. In it, Paul mentions no particular problems or local situations. He offers no personal greetings, and all of that shows that it was written to more churches than just to the church of Ephesus. So we're going to show you just a few photos here. This is a, a photo of the marketplace of ancient Ephesus. At one time, this city had 250,000 inhabitants. So that's twice the size of Waco. Ephesus was a port city of what we now know as Western Turkey. Travelers from Persia, which is now Iran, Egypt, Greece, and Rome often met there. If you'll change the slide, Ephesus was also a center of commerce and finance. This is the walkway from the theater to the library. And then the next three slides all show the theater. This was a huge theater. They had musical things, entertainment things, drama things. It held 24,000 people. It's mentioned in the book of Acts chapter 19. If you want to reread that situation in Acts 19, the theater is mentioned. You can kind of see some of the landscaping around western Turkey there. And then lastly, this picture, this um, one lone pillar is all that remains of the enormous temple of Artemis, which was also called the temple of the great goddess Diana. And that you read in Acts 19 verse 27. Artemis was her Greek name, so they called it the Temple of Artemis at that point. It was actually one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was maintained until 111 AD. It was ransacked seven times and then rebuilt. But it was finally torn down in 263 AD by the Goths, and it was never erected again because Christianity had made such a difference in Ephesus by that time that the pagan temples had been torn down or readapted. Isn't that something? One of the seven wonders of the world and all that's left is this one pillar which they rebuilt out of pieces. And you see water right at the bottom. When there's a, in the rainy season, it kind of fills with water. And they say that pooled area is where the temple used to stand. I'm going to point out a few other things. In the background on the left, this large building is the Issa Bay Mosque. It was erected in 1373. Behind that, on the hill at the left, 
This is a hill called the Ayasuluk Hill, and it's where the Ayasuluk Fortress is. John the Apostle died in Ephesus. Remember, he took charge of Mary. When Jesus was on the cross and he said, Woman, behold your son, and John, behold your mother, and he gave the charge of his mother to John, John took her to Ephesus. And they were there for a number of years, and John died there. We're not sure if Mary did. There is a church to St. Mary, but there's also a tomb of St. Mary in Jerusalem. So we don't know if she died there or died in Jerusalem, and if she was, maybe her bones moved. We don't know. We don't know if she's buried anywhere around there. You know, they like to build things and say someone was buried there. But John the Apostle did die in Ephesus, and he wanted to be buried on that hill where that fortress is. And he was buried there. In the 6th century, the Emperor Justinian built a colossal basilica over his tomb. And later, this fortress was built over the basilica. Now, right to the left of the pillar, you see some ruins there. That is the Church of St. John. And... There is a rumor that John wrote his gospel in that church, but we don't know. That's just a good rumor. So that's all the pictures I'm going to show you. I'm going to start giving you some introductory material to this book, and then we're going to go through about verse 8 today of chapter 1. So we know more about the church of Ephesus than about any other church in the New Testament. Paul wrote First and Second Timothy to Timothy about the Ephesian church while Timothy was in Ephesus. In Revelation 2, Jesus dictated a letter to the church of Ephesus. The three letters of John were written there, and the gospel of John was written there. And they say there's about 11 years where they don't really know where John was, and he was likely in Ephesus and likely writing those books. We also know he was on the Isle of Patmos for a while, and that's when he got the vision of Revelation. So this is where he settled with the mother of Jesus, Mary, and where he died as an elderly man. They say he was in his 90s. He outlived all the other apostles. The others were martyred. There is some discrepancy whether or not he was actually martyred, but he did live to be into his 90s. So the purpose of the book of Ephesians is to reveal the mystery of the church. So if you will turn with me to Ephesians 3. Want us to read verses 8 through 10, the mystery of the church. To me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all people see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So we'll break this down. God's intention for the church is threefold. First, it's to form a body to express the fullness of Jesus on the earth. And we see that in chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. I want to read that. He put all things under his feet. The he is God, the his is Jesus. So God put all things under Jesus' feet, gave him, Jesus, to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. So the first intent of the church, that the mystery of the church, is that God wanted to create a body that would express the fullness of Jesus on the earth. 
He did this, number two, by uniting Jews and Gentiles and really all ethnic groups so that God can dwell in them corporately. And that we see through chapter two. And then the third reason is to equip, empower, and mature this people so that they can express the Lord's victory over evil. And that's in chapters four through six. So Ephesians shows the process by which God brings the church to the place where the church expresses his victory. The church is called to spiritual warfare in chapter 6, but before that, she's called to walk in holiness in chapters uh, 4 and 5. And before that, before she walks in holiness, she's taught where she stands in Jesus Christ, who she is in Jesus. So I'm going to say all that another way. Chapters 1 through 3 show us where we stand as believers, who we are in Jesus. Chapters 4 and 5 show us how to walk in holiness. That is part of our call. We're not just called to be born again so that we can spend eternity with the Lord. We are called to walk in holiness. And then lastly, chapter 6, we are called to engage spiritual warfare as we exert the Lord's authority and victory in the earth. Ephesians 1 through 3 is about our relationship to God in Christ. Ephesians 4 through 6 is about our relationships with one another in the body of Christ. So this is interesting. When Paul writes about our relationship to God, he uses the word Christ, which means Messiah, the anointed one. And when he writes about our relationships with each other, he uses the word Lord. And what we get out of that is it's the Messiah who gives us our relationship to God, and it is the Lord who governs our relationships with one another. And so we see that through Ephesians. Now let's start in chapter 1, verse 1. Ephesians 1, verse 1. They... um, have removed our tables so that there would be less to wipe down, to disinfect between classes. But if you would like to be taking notes, there are clipboards and paper over there. Okay, Ephesians 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. God chose Paul to be an apostle. It was not a calling or a role that Paul ambitiously took or usurped for himself. God put him in that position. And he wrote to the saints in Ephesus and to the faithful, which could refer to the other churches in the nearby region. So what is a saint? It's people who are consecrated by God and are faithful to Christ Jesus. We are often called saints in the scripture. Does anyone else want a clipboard? Reuben's giving them away for free today. Okay, so one up here, Clayton Clayton also. Okay, let's look at verse 2. Thanks, babe. Verse 2 and 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just by the way, when Reuben was reading that verse earlier and he went back and forth, that was not speaking in tongues. That was actually Hebrew. You probably thought he was speaking in tongues interpreting. But that was Hebrew and English. Okay, so if you hadn't heard Hebrew, that was it. You'll hear it from time to time. 
Okay, verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Man, in Christ Jesus, we have so many blessings, far too many to name, but I'm just going to rattle off a few. We're chosen for salvation. We're adopted as God's children. We're forgiven. We have revelation and insight into the scriptures. We're given the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have power to do God's will, and we have the hope of living eternally with the Lord. And that's just the beginning. Let's look at a few more in Psalm 103 few other blessings of belonging to the Lord. Hold your place in Ephesians and let's go to Psalm 103. Read verses 2 through 5. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So there we could all say blessings. Verse 3, who forgives all your iniquities. You know, this is significant because he doesn't just say he forgives all of your transgressions. He forgives all of your sins. He says he forgives your iniquities. Iniquities is the evil bent that all of us have that is particular, peculiar to who we are. Some people have a bent toward lust. Some have a bent toward addiction. Some have a bent toward lying. And that is called the iniquity that's in our members. The blood of Jesus is so powerful. He doesn't just forgive our sin. He cleanses our DNA of iniquity. He cleanses it of iniquity that we inherit through generational lines. Though This is significant when he says he forgives, he eradicates all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth. It also says who satisfies your years in Hebrew, who satisfies your mouth or your years with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So many benefits of belonging to the Lord. Happy is the people whose God is the Lord. Amen. Okay, back in Ephesians 1, let's read verses 4 and 5. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So Paul says that God chose us to emphasize that salvation depends totally on God. We are not saved because we deserve it. We are saved because God is gracious and because Jesus shed his blood to cover our sins so that we could be born again. The mystery of salvation originated in the mind of God long before any of us ever existed. And we see that where it says that before the foundation of the world, he chose us. That's one of the things I'm just amazed at God. Before he even founded the earth, because he is timeless, he knows the end from the beginning, he knew that he would create man, that man would turn against him, and that ultimately he'd have to send his own son to purchase man back to himself, whether or not man ever even responded to that. And knowing all of that from the very beginning, he chose us. That's part of the mystery of God and the mystery of the love of God, that he would do that. In Jesus Christ, we are holy and blameless in God's sight. That means God sees us through the filter of his own son. 
Because we have put on Christ, as the scripture says, put on Christ with all of his goodness and righteousness. And because we have put him on, God sees us justified in him, just as if we never sinned. We are without blame before God. That is amazing. When you think that most people in the world, the thing that keeps them from wanting a relationship with God or being able to maintain one is, are the issues of guilt and shame. And yet before God, we are blameless. That God predestined us to adoption is another way of saying that salvation is God's work. It's not our own work. In his infinite love, God adopted us as his own children. Through Jesus' sacrifice, he's brought us into his family, and he's made us heirs alongside his own son, Jesus Christ. You can read that in Romans 8, 17. In Roman law, if they had slaves and chose to adopt them as their own children, then they would give to these former slaves, now children, all of the rights and all the privileges of family. So that's what, the, what is actually being referred to here when it says we've been adopted as sons. We are given all the rights and privileges as the children of God. We were formerly slaves to sin. He has adopted us out of that, and he has conferred upon us all the rights and privileges of belonging to him. So it shows how strong our relationship with God is. The word predestined does not suggest a fatalism that excludes some and includes others. It means that there's an appointed plan and destiny for all the redeemed. And this issue of predestination is discussed between Calvin and Arminianism, and I don't know where you stand on all of that. We will touch on it from time to time because it's in Ephesians quite a bit. But I want to say that again. We are predestined because we believe in Jesus. God has an appointed plan and a destiny for us. We are, as long as we get into the will of God, then we have a destiny to end up where God wants us to be. All right, verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. The beloved is Jesus. Remember when God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So we're accepted in the beloved. We're accepted in Jesus. I like this phrase, he made us accepted. It literally means we are graced with grace. Graced with grace, with grace, with grace, with grace. It's a fullness. It's an overflow of grace. God has given us the free gifts of unmerited favor and undeserved blessing because we are in Christ. And then verse 7 and 8, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. So Jesus' death points to two amazing gifts, redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Redemption was the price paid to gain freedom for a slave. We see that in Leviticus chapter 25. Through his death, Jesus paid the price to release us from slavery from to sin. He's delivered our lives from destruction as we read in Psalm 103 verse 4. Forgiveness was granted in ancient times on the basis of shedding animals blood. We read about that in Leviticus 17. We are forgiven because of the shedding of Jesus blood. He died as the perfect 
and final sacrifice for sin. He was and is the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world, is what it says in the book of Revelation. So again, from the very foundation of the world, God knew that at some point he'd have to give his son, and in God's mind, he was slain from the foundation of the world. It's hard for our finite minds to grasp some of that. So because of God's grace, we are redeemed and we're forgiven. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without shedding of blood, there is no remission. And it's the Greek word aphesis. This is also the Greek word that's used in verse 7, the forgiveness of sins for forgiveness. And it means to release from bondage or imprisonment, to cancel all judgment, punishment, obligation, and debt. So without Jesus' blood, we would still be in bondage and debt. We would still be awaiting our ultimate judgment and punishment. But he has he's given us, he's proclaimed over us this offices, this freedom from bondage and imprisonment. He has canceled the judgment. He's canceled the debt, the obligation, and the punishment. I want to read to you from Ephesians uh, 1, verse 7 in the Amplified Bible. In him we have redemption through his blood, which paid the penalty for our sin and resulted in the forgiveness and complete pardon of our sin in accordance with the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. I love that last part. He lavished his grace upon us. That's why we have redemption. That's why we have forgiveness of sin. So what are some truths that we can take away from today? I'm going to repeat some of what I've said just to get it all in our minds. God's intention for the church is that we be a unified body, that we be a unified body of believers that expresses the Lord's fullness on the earth. We're not just to be saved wandering around trying to get from here to heaven someday. We are to be expressing the fullness of the Godhead in our lives and through our lives. That means we have been baptized into the Father and we're living out the Father's holiness and compassion and purity. We've been baptized into the Son and we are living out the Son's prayer life, his servanthood, his humility, the power that he walked in to minister healing and life to people. We've been baptized into the Holy Spirit and we're walking out with the Holy Spirit through us, the gifts of the Spirit. We're comforting others, we're counseling others, we're standing by them in their crises, we're strengthening others, we are intercessors, we are advocates for them before the throne of God. This is our part of the role of the Holy Spirit to us, but as we are baptized into him, we overflow with the Holy Spirit, and we walk out the fullness of Jesus in the world today. Can you imagine Jesus walking through the streets of Waco today through each one of us? the fullness of the Godhead being expressed through the unified body of Christ. That's the goal of God. That's what's in the heart of the Father. So he wants us equipped, empowered, and mature so that we can assert and manifest his victory over evil. This ties in with Matthew 28, 18. When Jesus spoke to the disciples, they went up on a mountain. He had already died, rose again, Spent 40 days on the earth. Now he was about to ascend back to the Father. He's meeting with the disciples on a mountain in the Galilee. 
And he says to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the commands that I've given you. And lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. What he was saying is, all authority is now mine. In heaven and earth, I have bought it all back. The high treason that Adam committed, I have canceled that. And all authority is now mine. So I'm commanding you, I'm commissioning you to go into all the world and make disciples, bring them under my authority. That's what it means. Make disciples, bring them under my authority where they submit to me. And there's a lot of little Jesuses running around all over the world. That is our call. That's our commission as the church. And that's our commission individually to make disciples, to bring people into a place where they know the Lord. They're baptized into the knowledge of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They have an experience with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they are so in love with him that they want to obey everything he's ever commanded them to do. So the Lord is looking for a unified body of believers that live that way, that express the fullness of Jesus in the earth. He wants us equipped, empowered, and mature not spiritual babes. He doesn't want us to be carnal. He doesn't want us walking in compromise or complacency or laziness. He wants us to be strong, tall, godly men and women that make a difference in in this world. And we manifest his victory and we assert his victory. Where we see the enemy working, we go in with the name of Jesus and we assert his victory. Ephesians 1 through 3 shows us our position in Jesus because of his shed blood. Again, I'm just repeating. Ephesians 4 and 5 shows us how to walk in holiness. And Ephesians 6 is about our role of exercising spiritual warfare against the enemy of our souls, our families, and the nations. You know, part of our responsibility as the people of God is that we do spiritual warfare. We don't just pray. We don't just petitionary prayer, asking and knocking and seeking. And he responds to that. That's part of prayer. But we want to move from that. That's where we begin as believers. But we want to move into the higher levels of prayer where we are declaring the word of God, where we are asserting God's authority, where we're doing spiritual warfare and binding the strong man and the stronghold so that Jesus is Lord in that area. That's what we need to be doing in our nation right now. The enemy's trying to destroy America. And we need to be rising up as men and women of God to battle in prayer for God's purposes for this nation. So Paul, thank you, brother. (laughs) I paid him to do that. When Paul writes about our relationship to God, he uses the word Christ, Messiah. Because Jesus is the one that made it possible. When he writes about our relationships with one another, he uses the word Lord. The Messiah gives us our relationship to God. The Lord governs our relationships with one another. And that fits right in with Pastor John's theme right now. Love one another. Care for one another. Prefer one another. Because we are under his lordship. We have submitted to his lordship. We've signed on the dotted line. We've written our name on the blank check. We've said, we belong to you, Jesus. Do with us what you want to do. Be Lord of our lives. And that governs how we interact with each other. In Christ, we have many spiritual blessings. We're chosen for salvation. We're adopted as God's kids. 
We're forgiven. We have spiritual revelation and insight. We have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have power to do God's will and the hope of living forever with the Lord and much more than that. The word of God is full of the blessings and benefits of belonging to the Lord. You know, when Reuben and I teach on discipleship, we, we, we like to use this sentence because it is just so true. Deci- being a believer doesn't cost you anything. It costs Jesus everything. You accept Jesus, you repent of your sin, you give him your life. So far, it hadn't cost you. As you start walking with him, then it will cost you. But being a disciple of Jesus will cost you everything. But it will gain you everything that matters. Everything that really matters for eternity, you'll gain that by being a disciple. But if you're just a believer, you know him, and you walk with him haphazardly, some sin, some compromise, some obedience, You'll never know the blessings of being a true disciple of Jesus where you've surrendered everything to him. And being a disciple will cost you, but it also gains you everything that matters. Also, you can only walk in the authority of the name of Jesus when you're submitted under that name. When he is your Lord and you're submitted under him in obedience, you can use his name. But... Uh, you know, you, can, you cannot be effective in spiritual warfare if your own walk with the Lord is less than victorious. If you're defeated in certain areas, you don't have the same authority to exert in his name. So that's another, that's another reason why we need to walk in holiness. Lastly, Jesus' shed blood provides for us redemption and forgiveness. And as we put on Christ, as we abide in him... We are holy and blameless in God's sight. Let's pray. Man, I finished early. We have 10 minutes. Does anyone have a comment you want to add to this? We used to discuss a little bit around tables, and now we kind of can't do that. So would anyone like to make a good comment, something to add to what I've said, something that will bless the body? Nobody. Let's find some more to preach on. I want to encourage you to read the book of Ephesians this week. At least read chapter 1 a few times. Read chapter 1 a few times. Meditate in it. You know, what I find hard about the Apostle Paul's writing is he was so intelligent. It's just difficult to understand sometimes. And he uses a lot of prepositional phrases. And you kind of have to keep breaking them down to understand it. And it helps to read in other versions and, you know, the different versions of the Bible, that helps break it down. Um, I've been staying some with my mother. It's, as many of you know, she had a fall and she hurt her back, so she's recovering. But um, she is right now, she's never read the Good News Bible, and she is starting to read that because it's big print. So yesterday at her house, she was reading, and she kept laughing. I said, what are you laughing about? She said, the way they write the book of John is just so funny. But she says, it's so good. I I, I don't want to put it down. I'm learning so much. I want to read. And she's been reading many books every day. She'll say, I read Zephaniah today. I read Haggai today. I read Zechariah today. I read Jonah today. And it's just encouraged me to see how much she's in the word. That needs to be all of our testimony. We need to be in the word. Yes, Galen?
So Galen is saying we're not called to compromise. I think that's one of the temptations as we get older because we think I've lived for the Lord, I've served in the church, I've taught Sunday school, I've done all these things, and now I'm going to just relax and, and be less focused and less fervent. And I want to encourage you all, as Gay Lynn is, don't compromise. We want to go out strong. Let's don't go out weak. You know, when we came into the kingdom of God, hopefully we came in strong. We want to end strong. We want to end well. We want to run our race to the end where we get before the Lord. He hands us that crown of righteousness. Let's don't just, let's don't retire. Don't retire from being on fire for God. Ask God to fire you back up. You know, one of the prayers I've been praying for, for our church during COVID and even prior to that, but especially now because we, you know, at first we were hearing so many people were Googling the word prayer. So many people Googling prayer on the internet. A lot of unbelievers. A lot of unbelievers are saying, is this the end times? What can we expect next? And people had a lot of questions. And then with just a few months, people were getting less and less interested. And people weren't reading their Bibles as much. And people were not wanting to even return to churches as much. And people weren't watching churches online as much. I mean, Highland had 10,000 watching the first Sunday that we were all online. And just a few weeks ago, it was more like 600. You know, so there's, there's been shifts. And what is natural for humans is to be lazy. It's natural for us to just kind of let down our guard. I want to encourage you, don't do that. And so the prayer I've been praying is from um, Matthew 3:11, when John the Baptist said, He who comes after me, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And I think what we're missing in the body of Christ at large is fire. We're not passionate about Jesus like we should be. We're not on fire for the things of God. The word of God does not burn in our bones like Jeremiah said. His word in me was like fire in my bones and I couldn't help but speak it. That needs to be true of us. We can't help but share the word. We can't help but be on fire for God. We want to spend time in prayer. We want to do the spiritual warfare. Don't think that's for somebody else. It's not for me. It's not just for leaders. It's not just for Pastor John. It's for all of us to rise up as the body of Christ and to exert his influence, his authority in the world today. I, I was really encouraged. Reuben and I are teaching a discipleship group in our homes on Wednesday night right now. One week we prayed about three specific things with the women's in the we separate the men and the women for a little while and so there are five of us women and we pray for three specific things all of them were answered within the next five days and they were major one the car was stolen they found it the next day I mean they were just major things so I'm, I'm seeing that we are in a season where God will answer if we will pray but if we're not praying there's nothing to answer so may he make us prayer warriors Let's pray together.
just going to also name a few names before the Lord. Some of you know others that may need prayer. Um, Dutch Collins had uh, further bladder surgery and will be facing chemo pretty soon. Sharon Coates is going to have a hip replacement this week. And um, the Barbara Kilgore has come out of hospital and out of rehab. She is back home recovering from a stroke. So there and there are others. So let's just pray together. Lord, first we, we want to say we are so grateful that you've adopted us. Lord, you could have looked, us, looked over us. And yet from the foundation of the world, you wrote our names in the Lamb's Book of Life. And you orchestrated situations where we would hear the gospel and we would have a heart to respond to the gospel. And Lord, I pray that if any of us today have a heart of stone, we've become hardened, we become lukewarm, we have allowed unforgiveness and bitterness to take deep root in our hearts. Lord, today would you set us free? Would you replace a heart of stone with a heart of flesh? Would you uproot any bitterness out of our hearts and replace it with your kingdom of righteousness and love and forgiveness? Lord, would you soften any hard places in us? Would you rule and reign from the throne of our hearts? Lord, would you set us free from any compromise in our lives? Holy Spirit, would you convict us? Where are we walking in compromise? Where do we think thoughts that don't please the heart of the Father? Lord, deliver us from sin. We don't ask just that you forgive us. We ask that you deliver us. We ask that you set us free, that we be fully free from bondage. Thank you for the redemption you've given us. Thank you for the forgiveness you've given us. Today, again, we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We put on his robe of righteousness. We ask for a fresh cleansing of the blood of Jesus through our spirits, our souls, and even our bodies. Lord, any part of our bodies that we've used as instruments of unrighteousness, would you wash them with the blood of the Lamb? And would you set them apart as instruments of righteousness that you would be glorified through our lives? Lord, we do lift to you our family members, those that are recovering, those that are ill, those that are facing surgery. Even as Reuben prayed before, we want to pray again. Lord, you know them all by name. Would you even now touch their bodies, encourage their hearts, strengthen their faith, strengthen their hope. We pray for full healing and recovery in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, again, we pray for our city. We pray that this city would be called by your name and that your name would be lifted high here that your kingdom would be established here, that your will would be done here. Again, we pray for our nation, that your kingdom will be established in this nation. It will be a nation under God. You would be pleased here that we could continue to support missions, send missionaries out, and be a nation that walks in the fear of the Lord. Would you do that, Lord? Would you baptize us in the fear of God? Would you fill us and baptize us all in the nature of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Would you equip us, empower us, and mature us so that as we walk and live in this city and neighboring cities, that we will carry the life of Jesus, that every word we speak will be full of grace and truth and healing and spirit, just like Jesus did. Be Lord of our tongue. Be Lord of our mouth. Be Lord of our lives. 
Jesus, we love you. We submit under your lordship today. We welcome you into every part of our lives, our homes, our businesses, our extended families. Lord, we pray every one of those in our extended families will know the Lord Jesus Christ and submit to his lordship. Pray your blessing on your people. In Jesus' name, amen.